if Man United were playing, you'd be like sitting here in your Man United jocks all week, right? Not the fact right. that it's Man City about to do a treble, you are studiously ignoring it. Let's let's just call it. It's true. OTB AM live weekday mornings from seven thirty on the OTB Sports app. Off the ball daily. And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. Just to go through some scores from around the world of sport. Uh, Iga Swiatek uh, has taken the first set against Karolina Mokova, six games to two. The French Open, the women's singles final. Uh, Shelburne three, Wexford U is nil at Talca Park halftime. Jesse Stapleton, Hannah Healy, and Christy Gray on the mark for shells. Uh, Two twelve for Cork, one eighteen for Dublin. Win for Dublin in the minor football quarter final at Nolan Park. We'll keep you right up to speed on the other games which are throwing in this afternoon. This is Football Saturday. All the way now until 5. You can text us 53106. Tweet us out off the ball. We're streaming the conversation. Listen across the country on News Talk. Also watch us if you like on the digital and social channels for Off the Ball on Twitter, YouTube and Facebook. We also podcast a show on the Off the Ball section of the Go Loud Network every week. So it's also available on demand wherever you get your pods if you ever miss the live broadcast on News Talk. Joined in the studio by the co-ramblers manager Shane Keegan and the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward. How are you both? All good, JD, yourself? All, all the better for the clobber you're wearing. It's very, my, very um, snazzy today. It's oh, my Pep Guardiola <laughs> tribute. I'm a full, full milk tray. <laughs> I like it. I so like it's it. a, a black t-shirt and a black blazer. Unfortunately, I don't have Pep Guardiola salary, but uh, <laughs> we, can, we can always make well, the appeal. Maybe you're happier. Though. No, where you were going to go, there was a lot of endings that could have come with that sentence. Is he, ha- is he happy, do you think? Uh, is anybody happy? Yeah. Really? It's a I, I, he, looks, he looks pretty happy. He, he's always He'll be happier tonight for... if they win. I don't think he's ever content like he's always striving for the next thing like that maybe yeah, makes him he's one of those fellas I would imagine who's only happy when he's unhappy do you know what I mean yeah, he, you yeah. know, if he was happy he'd be why am I happy uh, you know I need to go after the next thing so he's mm. only ever happy when he's unhappy really for me we're also uh, joined on the line from Turkey by uh, Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent Dan how are you hi guys how are things Dan you're in Turkey but you're not at the final <clears throat> Yeah, like I'm in the, the heart of the football action or the, the country that's the heart of the football world at the moment, JD. But yeah, just, uh, yeah, I think 500 kilometers away from where it's all kicking off in Istanbul. I did see, so I'm in Antalya because Ireland have their training camp here um, ahead of the Greece game next Friday. But uh, I, did, I got a little bit of the Champions League buzz coming through the airport. There were some Inter Milan fans who were clearly uh, figuring their way there via various connections. But uh there we go. Yeah, well, the the, the um, I have a history of uh, Champions League finals through the prism of Ireland training camps and like weird Ireland uh, trips. Like I can almost remember where I was for a lot of the Champions League finals on the basis of where Ireland were. Like the uh, the the John Terry um, penalty. I think we were in Portugal for some training camp when Trap was coming in, um, and just a couple of other ones like that. So uh, that's that's the nature of the gig. What's the week been like over there? Well, it's, I've only just arrived, oh, so, okay, it's right, so. so um, I think it's been good so far for them. From you know, the, the vibes are okay, um, but uh, the weather might be taking a turn in the next couple of days. I'm not sure if that's the case or not. So I suppose the whole point of a warm weather training camp is that you're able to you're able to to train in the warm weather. Um, there's some talk of thunderstorms. I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not. But um, yeah, they were playing. There's an 11 v 11 game in-house today um, there was meant to be a sort of some kind of behind closed doors friendly um, but that didn't quite come to pass so it's yeah it's next Friday that's that's it's sort of creeping up around the corner for us here yeah we'll talk about it a bit more as the show goes on have you been to many Champions League finals for work? 
I've just been to one. Um, right. I was at the, the Munich Dortmund one in 2013. Uh, and again, that was because Ireland were playing in Wembley four days later. It was just right place, right time. It's just the way it is. It's 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 always, Ireland are always in camp. So like I've been in New York and various places for the, the Champions League final, but not really at them ourselves. You know, I, I think clearly you'd speak to um, maybe a couple of uh, lads who are a little bit older who would have been at Istanbul, say, because you had Steve Finnan and you go back then a little bit to 99 and there was obviously a big Irish presence but um, I suppose from my perspective like you're obviously covering the Irish team so um, Champions League wise no pressure on Evan, Evan Ferguson obviously but if he could get himself up to that level mm-hmm. uh, that'd be quite nice in terms of uh, some high-end Champions League games for sure The biggest club game in the world Yeah it certainly is yeah no doubt about it um, Been to anyone? No, no, and it's definitely something I'd I'd, I'd like to get to know RH, yeah. You haven't, have you? No, somebody was looking for tickets tonight, and I, I'd have a contact in England, like, but he was saying it's 1,350 quid. It's very specific. 1,300, yeah, 1,350, <laughs> sterling, whatever that is in euros, so uh, it's expensive, and I don't know, like, Man City wouldn't be the best supporter team by any stretch, but I've never been, no, I've... Um, I'm not sure I've even been to a Champions League group game, although I did see... Um, one of the players tonight playing against Shamrock Rovers in Tala. Um so that's been my that's been my connection to this. But uh, no, I haven't been. I can't remember what I actually did have a last minute option of one who played Champions League final in Munich. It was uh, Chelsea and um, and Bayern Munich. Was it? Um, I was at Wexford <laughs> at the time and. Uh, Famous Mick Wallace being Mick. I'll uh, be Mick Wallace for yeah, it. Mick, yeah. Mick got a couple of la- literally last minute tickets and he was literally, as he does, just flying out with a bag of gear and going to the game and staying in the airport overnight and flying back the next day. But but at that stage, I had something else on that was stopping me. Uh, Where was my able, takes? Been able to go. You know, I don't think I even no, knew you back then. No. You didn't, I wasn't a high pro. You only, got, you only wanted to say hello to me when I took over at Galway. I was, that was, I was only, a nobody in the world in Johnny the Ward. I didn't really want to know you. <laughs> Definitely wouldn't say hello to me in the second um, year. It is mad sometimes you get these uh, last minute kind of options go to things and it happens but uh, yeah. I would love to go alright and like Istanbul I know Dan's not there. Istanbul is a fantastic city like it's, uh, it's a great place to have a final. It is a beautiful city I was there but I don't know if I want to be there now with them. Um, the way it's run at the moment Turkey I'm, I'm not so sure um, well it was an interesting article Ken Early had in the Times today about like the big mosque in the square how you know Erdogan is kind of wants to kind of impose the regime on this on and, and you know that strong sense of, of Islam on the people and the way that Istanbul has changed as you say yeah and I was there 15 years ago I was uh, actually the same Champions League final Dan was at um, the uh, Munich Dortmund one just remember all of the fans going together on the tube to the game oh JD at, at Wembley yeah I, I went um, yeah I went to um, Galatasaray Fiorentina in a pre-season game and the tube out to Galatasaray Stadium was honestly one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen because like if you fall on that line like you're it's electric it's electrics so you're basically dead and like the, the crush to get on the tube was amazing and then the atmosphere at the game for a pre-season I was like what is it like for a, an Istanbul derby like it must be and they are absolutely fanatical about football it's totally different the experience is just like it never leaves you and that was a friendly um, I would love to go back for yeah, the, the Galatasaray Fernabache game must be on the bucket list. You'd wonder um, 
if there's a good actually neutral support there this evening, as you say, from um, obviously a lot of corporates weren't there mm. yeah, uh, for City time. City against Inter. Uh, we'll get to this now, and then we'll obviously bring in Dan about Ireland as well. But obviously bring Dan on on this game. Um, it, in everybody's minds, they've won this City. Now there's still a match to be played, but in everybody's minds, it's over. Yeah, I think they're the they're the heaviest favourites of the last decade or more. I think all right, going into it, aren't they? Um, and look, you can understand why, JD. I mean, they've just looked absolutely unbeatable and scintillating in every respect over the last what are we talking now, two to three months almost, um, since they clicked into gear and probably since he's found a reasonably settled eleven as well. I mean, it's you look back to some of the teams he was picking earlier in the year, and um, you know it was very very surprising some of the names that were been been left out at the time, people like like Ruben Diaz and and different people like that, but. Um, I mean, would you have thought six months ago that City would be heading into a game and everybody would be pretty much nailed on with the starting eleven? Now, maybe, maybe, maybe he'll spring a surprise, but I would be very, very surprised if we can't all name the starting eleven, which is absolutely not a trait of, of Pep Guardiola at Manchester City since he's come in there. You'd, you'd be guessing right up until the last minute and wait and see what curveball he's going to throw now. But this one seems to be nailed on. I think everybody can, can pretty much go through it and can go through exactly the, the manner in which they will try and play. Um, but... Of course they're favourites and yeah, if I had to stick my neck out and say who I think would win, I, w- I would say I think they would win. I wouldn't have them as short as, as the bookmakers have them. I, I like it's 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 you look at Inter and for me, if you're gonna play against Manchester City, the problem a lot of teams have at Champions League level is they're coming into a game against Manchester City where they're used to playing in their own domestic league where they have the majority of the ball. And now all of a sudden you have to come up with a game plan where you don't have the majority of the ball and you need to learn a whole maybe different style and a different way about going things very, very quickly. This Inter Milan team have spent the entire season playing without the ball. They are perfectly perfectly happy to play without the ball they've had less than 40% possession in the vast vast majority of the games they had 30% possession against Porto in the quarter final they are they are set up exactly in the way that a team needs to be set up to stand a decent chance against Man City in my opinion and it's a mad one but like if you were to compare the way they've gone about things to any team in the Premier League the most comparable one is Brentford yes. and what team have given Man City the most problems in the Premier League well, forget about the second game but the first game at, at the Etihad they had only 25% possession mm. they were very aerial they were very direct they pressed they almost went over the top of City I felt when watching that game yep. maybe that's the, the and they also had two up front they, well, they, and they will have oh no they will they'll have the two up front again tonight which even in itself raises a, a bit of a question mark for, for Pep because you know when they're building out they only like to leave kind of two at the back really um, so they do knowing that the opposite will only ever really have one up there but but these will do it they will absolutely defend with eight they'll, they'll sit off and the eight will be in a really blo- low block but the other two will stay up um, and that even in itself will is kind of a, an interesting one for, for City to wrap their heads around I think I think tactically I think it could be absolutely fascinating the obvious problem here is City don't if, want to if, score if, early if, like. well if City score early what, what do Inter do then like what hell yeah. do Inter do then yeah but the longer it's in the balance um, and the longer City start to, to throw extra bodies forward and start to take more chances and stuff like that, um, that's when, when Inter will really, really fancy their chances of, 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 of picking them off on, on the counter-attack. Team-wise, I mean, it's probably, 
I think the majority of the team picks itself for them I think it's it's two from three up top and that's well sorry it's really one from two because Martinez will, will definitely start but yeah probably with Dzeko and then you got obviously Romelu Lukaku who's well known to Premier League supporters yeah Dzeko seems to be the better option alongside Martinez in that they seem to have had a better bar- partnership all year but for the team that they're playing against and the fact that they're going to have to try and counter and run in behind I, I wouldn't be surprised if Imagine Romelu Lukaku scores the winning goal in yeah, the Champions League cool. final it's doable That'd be cool. it's, it's a possibility it's a possibility I think he is again I think horses for courses I think he's the better horse for this course What's caught your interest Dan around this game? Yeah I mean I, I think um, well firstly yeah, the main interest is is trying to find a reason that it's going to be interesting, you know, and, and sort of Shane, Shane sort of lays it out there well. I mean, I, I do like the angle of Lautaro Martinez. When you think, probably go back to Qatar and he had a bit of a nightmare, really, um, for large parts of that tournament, um, but still won the competition, like still part of the most incredible experience of your life. And what a year it would be sort of six months later for him to come back and, and to be involved in the World Cup final. Sorry, to be involved in the Champions League final and a World Cup final in the space of six months and have a big role. Like that would be the story, um, you know, if it was to come off. Um, I think the concern is, like I've read a, quite a few pieces as uh, along Shane's lines talking about Inter Milan there and how you expose City. The fear is that they don't have terrific speed, but that's why he is going to be such a big player for them. You know, and he's going to be an influential player in the game. So I just hope we get a contest. Like I just hope mm. that, like I hope Inter score early. I mean, that in some in some sort of parallel universe, if that could happen, we could have an absolutely terrific Champions League final. And um, and if not, well, I mean, there we go. It's just a coronation, like Sheikh Mansour is going. I see. So I mean, we are. This is this is where we are. It's like you know, which which Sheikh is going to attend is like. Um, would be the perfect illustration of modern sport in the week that's in it, I suppose. You know, he's he's gone for his first game since 2010. It's not as if City have been up to much since then, you know, but like, there you go. No, they um, have done. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a nice gig, Asher. I'll, I'll take in this one. I'll take in this one. But, the, pro- um, the problem I mean, is, Dan, if it, the problem is, is if, if we're looking for the game to be as competitive for as long as possible really what we're saying there is we're hoping that it's going to be nil-nil for as long as possible you're right we're not, fine, we're yeah. not getting an exciting you're competitive 3-2 like. Like. yeah yeah that's fine no no I think that's it like I mean I think but which would you take then like, like do you want just a, a Man City masterclass mm. or would you be delighted if it was nil all at 60 minutes and it'd been terrible I don't want a Man City you know like terrible in a yeah. terrible in a yeah. in a goal mouth activity sense obviously it would be interesting but you know what I mean yeah but like there's, there's a purist I, I, yeah. in terms of what you want on the pitch but there's a purist in terms of not really liking the Man City project well, at here's all. one for you I do want a ma- masterclass because it means that Guardiola will leave sooner mm. and then the whole thing will not be the same <laughs> Will he though? I think so. Yeah, mm. I, th- I think this is a big thing for him. I, I, he strikes me as a wrestler type. It seems like a project. If they get over the line, uh, he'll stay for another couple of years. But then, like, he probably wants to manage Spain. He like to talk. He wants to manage Brazil. Um, managing Spain, despite his strong Catalan. Well, there maybe yeah, but yeah. this thing about him managing Brazil, he wants to manage Brazil. Mm. Um, fascinating. Like, there's some brilliant writing, by the way, around absolutely. Like, like Richard Fitzpatrick um, in the Irish Times about like a profile of Guardiola, which is unbelievable. I, I thought that was a great read. Just to give it a plug, some great reading today, JD. But the stuff like going back to his Barca days, were you surprised at that? The like, Villanova, uh, Villanova like stuff. The like, Villanova, and now to be like we haven't heard from Guardiola on this recently. Mm. But I mean, uh, after Villanova died, who was his assistant at Barcelona and then subsequent manager, he said he'd be sad for life. They're best mates, and but it seems like if, from the article, they had a bit of a more strained relationship. 
relationship. Oh, a lot more strange. When Villanova was sick with uh, with cancer. He called to see him once, despite the fact he was living in the same city as his treatment. Villanova's wife expressly to- told him, do not come to the wake, wasn't it? Yes. And he apparently, now again, this is apparently he tipped off the press that he was going to be at the funeral. Um, but they'd fallen out because of the ending of their axis at Barcelona. And that he, I don't know if he... You know, they, they, were, they were teammates going back a long, long time and they were like obviously very, very good buds and maybe he thought that you're going to work with me or you're going to work under me, but you can't like take that job. Um, but, you know, there were shades of kind of Clough and Taylor, but a lot more kind of, almost like a lot more acrimonious and Guardiola is a complex character. Like he's, he's not very likable. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's probably that, he probably has that madness in him that separates ordinary people from true greatness, which he clearly is as a coach. But like, I just I, I don't like how you know prickly he's been in relation to question, legitimate questions about the whole um, financial backing of Man City from what is effectively a state and also the fact that um, you know as Dan says this is a week where this is one of the most disgusting weeks in the history of sport really when you think where the world is going at the moment because of because of oil and oil wealth and and you know you see what happened in golf and then like you also see that. Newcastle are going to have what is effectively Saudi Arabian state sponsorship, really, for under Jersey for was it twenty five million a year, and they're likely going to get away with that. Um, and then you have Man City likely winning the Champions League tonight because of money from um, another an oil an oil rich dictatorship, really, which the UAE is. Um, so I don't want them to win, definitely not. I, I think they're the possibly the best football team I've ever seen, but that doesn't make me want them to win. Uh, Paul Hurst, unbelievable behind-the-scenes stuff in the UK Times about Guardiola. I'll just quote here. During one team talk in January, Cancelo, João Cancelo, is said to have put his earphones in and slumped to the floor as Guardiola addressed the squad. It was viewed by staff as a clear act of insubordination against the manager. Guardiola told the director of football uh, to see Bagiristan uh, that Cancelo had to go. And a few days later, after Barcelona Real had made failed bids, the Portuguese was loaned to Bayern Munich, also saying that Guardiola doesn't eat until after the game, so it'll be a long night for him this evening. Um, Salmon is... Um, <laughs> the most, like the best salmon has flown in from Norway for Erling Haaland because he likes it. Um, this is, I think, City's sixty-first game this season. Oh, the stat as well, JD. That this, like, this is staggering, Shane. Right? Man City have been behind on the scoreboard for a combined forty-six minutes in their last twenty-seven matches, going back to February. So in the last twenty-seven matches, they've been behind for one half in in all. And Kevin Kilban's article in the Times as well, where he basically says De Bruyne sort of threw in the towel at the World Cup with a view to Man City, where he basically like after the first game, he's like, "We're too old," and he was poor in the tournament. And um, so there's a lot, lots of interesting stuff around it but I, I don't know I mean I, I was just thinking of Shane Keegan though if like Wilson Moreira or one of the lads had the headphones in you're out like in St. Coleman's Park get out of my club <laughs> I'm not <laughs> so sure I have I'm not so sure I have the embarrassment of riches to fall back now <laughs> so Wilson might have to have an off the record conversation <laughs> but um, yeah like it's you wonder sometimes do the players enjoy it that much because how long did it take really to get used to thing, it they all um, apparently um, they all live together in the same apartment block I was reading that as well so Grealish and Haaland and Diaz and Alvarez all, all live in the same apartment block. It's like an army. Yeah, which is which is interesting. Mm. I, have, I, I have eight of my players living in the same apartment block in bloody Portugal for the week this week, so I'm not, I'm not sure if that's comparable either. Uh, Shout out to all of them watching oh today. Uh, Derek Foley and the star like profiling Alan Riley, who used to play for City in the late 90s when they were in the third tier of uh, English football in the main road days. Obviously, it just shows how far City have come in the last 25 years given the, 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 the fall they had and had to be Gillingham, didn't they? 
and he ended up a bohemian then, Alan Riley. I would, I would, I've said this before, and I've been kind of scoffed at, but I would like to know what the old fans think of it all. Like, do, do, will they get massive enjoyment out of being backed by a Petro State and win the Champions League, or will they pine for the days when it was a working class game and they played in Main Road and they were decent mid-table Premier League team? Maybe I'm wrong, but like, I don't know. It's it's bought and it's. It, but but it, isn't, yeah. isn't 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 Johnny isn't, like John, that's Johnny, that's football. Johnny, look at the Newcastle fan. I know, yeah. I know that actually there is, a, there is a Newcastle fan group, to be fair, that has been set up that does have an opposition to the, the ownership of the club. And I think they get pilloried, but they do exist. I'm not sure if there's a city version of that. But you see that the, the, the Newcastle spurt shirt sponsorship stuff, which is just hilarious. Like This company didn't even have a website a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And now they're like doing a 25 million jersey deal. Um, or, or the website was under construction. Like they did very well to get this far. Into but they're promoting the Saudi 20s. business, Dan. They get they get it back, like you know. Yeah, um, but like you saw, so you see some of the comments from people underneath that goes, "Ah, oh, this makes perfect sense." Says you know Newcastle Jim, you know age sixty in Durham, saying this makes perfect sense for synergy. It's like mm-hmm. no, I mean, synergy. Like, no, like you know this is this is, I mean. Uh, of course Man City fans are enjoying it you're like sort of trying to project your own wishes onto how they might feel about it and um, I, I, like I, in many ways I can't help but smile at the fact that Dan or that Johnny isn't happy with uh, oil money but he's perfectly happy with money made from property with the Comer brothers <laughs> um, well I, I don't think it's really comparable but um, I guess running it's running away with a league because of uh, financial uh well, I, I, I would I would argue, and I don't know what the Comer brothers are putting into Go United, but Go United's wage bill is not off the charts by any means. It's 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 decent in the first vision, but they haven't like lashed. By money. scale, I'd say by scale, I'd say it's not dissimilar, Johnny, to. Uh, and, uh, you know, so to, no, but, it, it, is, is your issue with the, the fact that is because it, it, obviously there's money behind every big yeah, entity, like yeah, so, like the Cronkies exactly. is Walmart. Uh, you know, it's uh, the Glazers is is finance and and the way the Manchester United has been has been leveraged has been. It's it's clearly not fair. It's the money that's been put into Man City, just like in Newcastle. It's not fair. They've essentially contravened the rules, and we know they have. Um, how many how many pages were in the documents that they came up with? You know, it's like which they're contesting, which they obviously are contesting, and I'm sure they're not going to sue the show or whatever. But like, it's not fair, JD, and we know that. And it's also how the Arab states themselves have come to this situation where they're basically sports washing the world. Because you've somebody like Mohammed bin Salman, who's like a bored kind of dictator now, who wants to do things like take over Newcastle United and take over golf, even though he's no interest in either. Well, no, I think what he's interested in is um, modernising Saudi Arabia mm. and and also the fact that oil now is not going to be as dominant a a fossil fuel in the next fifty to hundred years. So they're having like to humans, they're having to diversify their interests mm. and being part of. Um, you know, sport in the world is part of that. And they're investing 600 billion through their PIF into sport. So bringing Ronaldo, bringing Benzema to Saudi, setting up Saudi uh, clubs, four of them, um, possibly, you know, bidding successfully for the World Cup, um, being now underwriting the whole sport of golf. So there is a strategic, geopolitical strategic effort uh, at what Saudi Arabia are doing right now. Um, just as much as Qatar had a strategic interest to bid successfully for the World Cup, just as much as the UAE have had a strategic interest in Manchester City. Um, like I even think with golf, like there's a degree of trolling about the United States government with the golf thing this mm. week, because there's mm. a very strange relationship between the United States government and the Saudi government with Joe Biden and MBS having met since last summer. Hopefully Trump gets in and they'll be friends again. Well, um, but I suppose that there is a geopolitical element out to sport that can't be ignored. Mm. And that is now swirling around the atmosphere of 
uh, club that's going to win the Champions League tonight that has been assembled brilliantly by Pep Guardiola 100%. managed brilliantly great players um, a lot of us just uh, at, at times just want the escapism of that and we don't care about it really uh, we just want to see great football but unfortunately you can't ignore it because it's so now dominant in the prevailing narrative Totally. It is the game. Like it is the game now, John. You just like there there is like the escapism is the football, you're right. And like you can you can analyze it, but I mean there's no and maybe there never was to an extent. I mean, you know, well, then again, you think of Nottingham Forest winning European Cups and maybe you just get nostalgic for a different time that will never come back, you know. Um, but there's no romance in it at all. You know, like Pep, you know, Pep's mission for the Champions League is a story, right? You know, there is you know, he wants to he wants to win with another club and it's had like those, you know, those, um, those sort of cock-ups in recent years and his Bayern experience. And that's absolutely fine, but it's, it's not triumphing against the odds really, is it? It's like, he's, he's finally got to do it. And um, by going to a club that has more money than anybody else with some questionable deals underpinning it. And they're under investigation by the league in which they play. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of a hard one to sell as a, uh, you know, as the last line in a sort of a Netflix series or something, you know, with a sort of cut to a, a montage of happy music at the end of it. Like, it's not, it's not that, but I mean, look, I mean, I went to Qatar, you know, it's, the, like it's, 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 it's there with you, you know, I mean, it's, it's, is it possible? We've had this discussion a million times. You can enjoy it, but, you know, I, it, it, there comes a point where you, a lot of people are just beaten down to the point where they just don't care who wins. You know, and that and that's the thing. Like, if Newcastle suddenly emerge as the challenger to Man City, and they both probably have the financial power to to pull away. Although Newcastle, some talk their transfer budget may not be as big this summer. Have to have they spent all their money on golf? Who knows? Uh, I doubt it. But um, you know, a Man City Newcastle title race. Where do you get off with that one? You know, yeah, and and are we are we, are we, are we, are we do we feel romantic about Real Madrid? Yeah. Well, no, but John, that's the point. Like, where is the, I, I, mm. I take that point. And like, th- there's an argument that like, you know, some of the traditional big clubs, like, you know, they've enjoyed their monopoly that comes from their power. And that's obviously how you try and sell it. You know, and that's why fans of Man City and, and Newcastle will say, well, hang on, look, just because you're a fan of Liverpool, Manchester United, or some of the traditional bigger clubs, you have a divine right for this. I mean, the Super League debate sort of t- t- touched on that a little bit in some ways. You know, it sort of it went there. And, and like Man City sort of came in and then they pulled up the drawbridge to an extent and then Newcastle and then all of a sudden it's gone, it's gone too far. But um, I, I take that point, but there's probably another level here you know like you are talking about states with some very questionable uh recent activity and, um, and as well as that so. and, and conditions in the country so you just can't you can't divorce yourself from that as much as it's probably boring to talk about it sometimes and everyone's like i'll stop going on about it but it is probably there's a degree of obligation there to always remind people of that because that's where it comes from that, that part of the world old arabia like kind of a tribal people like you know amazing part of the world if you were ever there then they discovered oil so they had to make states to protect their assets and they're basically dodgy states like Saudi Arabia is a despicable state in many in many in many respects we all know this and just as you know the climate crisis getting to the point where we are really really in a bad bad place god knows how bad this is going to get because of fossil fuels Saudi Arabia and the Middle East is effectively taking over sport and it's hard not to get around the irony and the horror of this like when the world is burning 
everything and we're running out of everything and Saudi Arabia is like flexing its muscles to uh, you know take over golf take over Newcastle United and Man City are going to win Champions League because of oil money basically so I don't get any enjoyment of it whatsoever and my mind won't be far off the uh, situation we're in whatever about Mohammed bin Salman <laughs> I like the way you glanced at me there, JD. Listen, I'm, I'm way, way, way out of my depth here. And the excuse I'll fall back on every time is, well, I'm not a journalist. It's a nice, handy excuse for me to be able to fall back on. Um, see, I'm, I'm probably too black and white like in that, for me, I'm either all in on something or I'm not in at all. And like, I'm either, I'm either going to enjoy the football and watch the football and look at the tactical side of things and look at the game as a game of football or what stop watching football because I don't like where the money is after coming from like I'm not going to go that side so I'm going to stay the side I'm on so it just it genuinely <laughs> I've held my hand up before and said uh, don't know what it says about my shallowness it, it won't come into my thinking when I sit down this evening that's, that's the short of it to be honest with you I am able to just push it to the back of my mind I know you shouldn't but I will just push it to the back of my mind because it won't be the slightest I will be watching football for the football by watching two extremely different styles of football which is what gets me excited when I'm watching a game of football rather than watching same same um, and yeah oh, everything the lads are saying makes complete and utter sense but would it have entered my mind without the two boys talking about it nah it is the beauty of the team that finishes last in the NFL it gets the first pick in the draft and as much as America's basket case capitalism and so on sport is actually kind of a lot fairer because as you say JD I, I want Pep to leave as well I want it to become um, and in fairness to Pep he's, he is the best manager but it's not really enjoyable to see Man City dominate the way they are as much as they're brilliant to watch well, I think maybe it goes against the grain of the fact that the, everybody views it as the people's game. Mm. So if, if, you, if you feel that this can be bought, um, and to maybe to a level it can be, say, Abramovich, for example, um, at the time when the money was pumped into Chelsea, you felt that they were ahead of everybody else in the first couple of years under Mourinho. And then, other, yeah, and then you have a city, then you have a Newcastle. And the Wild West nature of it means that, and the, and the lax regulation, really, in terms of... Um, the amount of money that's being spent and how it ex- like to the precise nature of that it has been spent it feels like that this, the soul has been ripped out of the thing and like it's the problem I have is and Shane mentions the Comer brothers right but the Comer brothers are from Glenn and Maddie who came from nothing right so whatever the Comer brothers they've, they've become billionaires they've made a lot of money but they're from Galway and they've invested that money in Galway United so that's kind of like old school chairman really like they put money into their these people have no association whatsoever now, to be fair they put guys. a lot of money into Manchester um, the, 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 the Comers no no the, sorry, the, the, sorry the, the Comers were actually linked with Aston Villa no, 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 no they no, have no, the, yeah. the people, like to be fair to them, the people involved um, the, in the UAE in, in Manchester City have, have put a lot of money into the area around Manchester. But they've no connection whatsoever with the place. So that's, that's, they're trying to get the connection. Yeah, but know, it's so. not. It's like it's like the synergy Dan talks about with the Saudis in Newcastle. They've no strategic interest in this place whatsoever, or its people. It's just doing it for their own ends, and that's why I don't derive any enjoyment out of it. Like so, yeah, go ahead, celebrate your win tonight, cheek, whoever you are. But like, you've no connection to this club, Yeah, they're not doing it to get a connection. Like, I mean, unless I see them doing their shopping like in the local store with everyone else you know? it's not that it's 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 it is a, like i mean it's true that city in some respects like they did they, they have won praise at times for how they treat their staff you know and and the, at various times and in, in recent times their academy has become very good and there's like great working conditions there for people there and they've done a lot for the community um in manchester the problem is just the country where they're based like just terrible conditions for people under that regime that's the issue. So you, you don't have an issue with one team 
being far superior to the other based on them having far more financial wealth. It's more so just where the financial wealth came from. Yeah, well, yeah, and, f- and having financial fair play, in fairness, that it's done at least in, in some sort of guise of rules that, like, if you have a... If you're sponsored by a bookmaker, the bookmaker at least exists as opposed to just mid up because you can get around it that way. Like, so, as Dan says, you're not going to have, like... You're not going to have fair play. You're not going to have, like... Shamrock Rovers would probably always be a bigger club than Galway United. Galway United would be a bigger club than Cove Ramblers. But it's just, like, this is... I mean, look at the money that they've thrown at this for no real reason other than that like they're you know they want to get involved in sort of stuff around the world and flex their muscles they've no interest whatever in Manchester themselves I and this, like how how could the Saudi takeover of, of golf or the Saudi Newcastle thing be good for for sport it just isn't like because it's just a dictator flexing his muscles effectively uh, 53106 um. how about the game how will it go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, there's my issue as well. Like, um, the fact that we've, you know, yeah, it's a conversation that has to be had, but it's, because Guardiola it's is, in, 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 in terms of Guardiola's ev- evolution of the game itself, like, what, it doesn't matter. If Guardiola had these players and they were on a third of their salary, it wouldn't make any difference to his amazing ability as a manager. That's the Zerbi. That's, you know, the Zerbi. There you go. The, that's the Zerbi. <laughs> now, talk to us about the game. Um, yeah, look, I mean, as I say, it is it's not that hard to sum up tactically kind of what I said earlier is absolutely how the game will go what's he do with Haaland so Zaghi is implying he has a plan yeah well again what do you do to be honest with you Haaland is the kind of centre forward that these these Inter Milan centre backs will want to play against Mm. in that he is the big bustling bruiser type rather than you know the ones that's going to kind of disappear off up the field and reappear in the box when the when the cross comes in so it does but but, you know, if it was anybody but Haaland, Pep would be tempted to go without an out-and-out centre-forward against Inter Milan because I do think that the false nine thing is the kind of thing that could cause Inter Milan problems. But but obviously it's Haaland, so of course he's going to start. And while Inter will say, as a team, this probably suits us better to have a number nine that we can touch his jersey and, and feel him close to us, the problem is that centre forward is Haaland and I mean if anybody wants to have a bet against Haaland scoring tonight fair play to them he didn't score against them um, bizarrely he somehow didn't score against Real like, despite the fact he played extremely well so maybe maybe you're right like, and the way to defend against Haaland is, is basically like rough him up a bit and, and defend in numbers with giving them no space like because he's not going to as you say he's not going to like pick up the ball off the you know in the, in the centre circle that's not his game yeah, well, uh, again, like, so what is the answer? How do you defend against Haaland? Like, kick him. Kick him. Uh, I think he's reasonably happy to be kicked. Um, I don't think he'll have any major problem with that either. Like, these will drop. The the, the, the fear for Inter, obviously, is... What do they do with the ball? Well, they're not going to have it, John. Yeah, so see, even with their 35, they won't even have, have less than 35. 25, 30% position. About 25, What can, they do, 25, what can they do with the ball? They're, they're, honestly, they're just going to have to look to counter-attack. As qu- I know that sounds uh, fairly blunt, so it is, but like they need to have an out ball, right? So the two boys, obviously, that'll kind of stay up. Now, they won't stay up, up. They'll stay in and around Rodri's zone, let's mm. say, and then they'll try and get it out as far as them. They need runners off that. To be fair, Barella is the perfect player in terms of having a runner off it. The man has some energy. And Believe it or not, their main attacking outlet in terms of, of creation is DeMarco, who's the left wing back. I mean, he is the one coming up with all the assists. Um, the problem DeMarco is going to have is he tends to burn people for pace and best of luck to him trying to burn Kyle Walker for pace. So Kyle Walker is exactly the prototype really that you want there in that Kyle Walker can go all the way up the field into the final third. And if they break and DeMarco goes, 
well Walker will hunt him down and catch yeah. up with him again yeah. um, so he will so it's it's look again if you I, were Pep tonight then what would you do like would you would you change anything about the way they'll approach the game nah nah nah, nah. And, and, and they won't like to be fair to Pep like again I understand he has all the tools at his requirement right but he is the master at assessing where the issue is and finding and like people say you can't reinvent the wheel like Pep has reinvented the wheel two yeah. or three times yeah. now so he has like he has Jetty. Yeah. he has done things that we've genuinely have never seen before um, and I, that's why I find him just fascinating and remarkable I mean he's I no mean, crack though like oh he's not cr- no crack <laughs> he's no crack he's and I'd say no he would wear you out being around him for any sort of length of time at all at all I'd that's imagine just public just, face you don't know you don't know ah, he's like, you don't know he's like is, with a with like, a uh, Glass, no, with, with a glass of vino or a, a San Miguel on his hands you know? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't see first of all I can't see him with a San Miguel and I can't see him being cracked with a San Miguel either <laughs> but, but he decided he decided last year basically on, on the back of the Champions League semi-final he decided that he needed three players at home the majority of the time when his team were attacking but he also wanted to always have a box four mm. in terms of how they built out. And the only way to make that happen, even though it seems like the easiest solution in the world now, but nobody was coming up with it at the time, is I'm going to go back to the old style Franz Beckenbauer thing of you're a centre back when we don't have it and you're going to come out and you're going to play centre mid when we do. And that allows me to have the, the, the flat back four, say, and Rodri in front when we don't have it. And yet we still have a box four. So John Stone's going playing two positions for me. Yeah. You know, they. This is the crack, and this is the crack. You know, again, I'm not saying anything that's new here, but the idea anymore, JD, of being able to write down a team's formation is just preposterous. It's absolutely preposterous because which are you writing down for Man City? Are you writing down their formation when they don't have it, or are you writing down their formation when they do have it? They're, because they're two completely and utterly different formations. You know, so the old style of four two three one, like best of luck trying to write down what what City's formation is. I think City are. I think Guardiola's calmer than he was a couple of years ago. I don't think he's going to make any stupid decisions like he did with no defensive midfielders against Chelsea and Porto. That was just absolutely crazy. It'd be hilarious if they didn't win, though. He wouldn't be calm then because, like, well, it would be on a it, would, it would be glass jaw stuff. Mm. Um, I think as well, all the players are fit, and I think that the bench is is huge. And I think that Phil Foden has not been getting his place in the team for Manchester That's City. Like it is, it just shows. But how does he get in the team? Well, well, it's like if he he gets in the greatest position, doesn't no, he? Not a hope. Yes, not a hope the way Grealish is playing so there you go so what I'm trying to say is that if it's not Grealish it's it's Bernardo Silva if it's not Bernardo Silva and we've seen it very much recently it's Ilkay Gundogan um, yeah. you know so it, it's it's always always somebody else um, 53106 alright John I don't know why you lads always give the Qataris and Saudis such a hard time they're investing in the sport and the game has never been played at such a high level as a result from Brazil um, Reza could be like a, an AI generated um, well, from Abu Dhabi. He's got his. He's not the recent guy. Don't be cynical. The man's entitled to his opinion. I, uh, I swear. I swear. I'm obviously I'm taking the piss, but I swear. Like when when Saudi Arabia was running its its signature horse race, which I think is a purse of twenty million dollars. I posted up on Twitter. I was on Twitter at the time. I was like, that's great. Like, enjoy your horse race, $20 million. It's great that, like, in your proxy war over the border, you've, like, kids starving in Yemen. I had a barrage of people replying in favour of the Saudi regime, just as uh, this week we've had uh, the climate conference in uh, the UAE, and you have all this AI-generated support for the regime. So um, I can't even remember why I'm saying this, okay. but they are mad. Okay. It's mad okay. what okay. goes okay. on. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> okay. 
It sounded uh, like Pep. Uh, uh, okay, uh, enough. Uh, <laughs> Shelburne, four Wexford used nil in the Women's Premier Division. Bohemians won Cork City nil uh, at Dalyman Park. Uh, we also have in the minor football quarterfinals, Kerry seven points, Kildare one three, and Derry two points, Galway nil. And in Iga Sviantek, uh six games to two, she won the first set against Carolina Makova in the uh, French Open Women's Final. It's four games all in the second set. Dan McDonald's in Turkey. We'll be back with him after the break. Johnny Ward and Shane Keegan on Football Saturday. This is Football Saturday and Off the Ball, John Duggan till five with Shane Keegan, the Cove Ramblers, Boston Studio with Johnny War, the broadcaster and journalist and also on the line from Turkey, Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent, the football correspondent. You can text us 53106 and you can also um, watch us on the digital and social channels for Off the Ball uh, on YouTube, Facebook and on the OTB Sports app. Um, comments on YouTube. We have John Summers thought McAllister moved to Liverpool was a very good signing in my opinion. Uh, Shawnee was watching the big match on IGV this morning showing Arsenal, Birmingham, Brady, Stapleton playing. Couldn't believe the low standard League of Ireland standard. Trevor France is the best player. Uh, we also have another text in here. Uh, Pep didn't reinvent the wheel. Mateus equals Stones. Football in the 50s and 60s were played with inverted fullbacks. False nine around the 70s and the 80s. Great manager, but nowhere near the best, says Alan. Uh, lads bitterness towards City from East Talk is getting ridiculous at this stage if it's not Monday to Friday in the morning it's now Saturday afternoons yes we got lucky with the ownership but no one gave a fiddler as we were playing uh, and getting stuffed by the likes of Oldman Main Roads as Ollie in Navin uh, another one uh, hi John you'd make a great James Bond in that suit will you ask the lads who is their favourite Bond says John Dillon and Bray I've never watched James Bond uh-huh. no he's no asking the wrong, wrong man here no it's not Dan are you a James Bond man no, no, this is like we're just we're just so focused on football, JD. We have, we have no life outside it. You used to live near the Oliver Bond, but um, yeah, you did about it. <laughs> I'm amazed, like, you know, because always on a Sunday you'd have uh, a match or something, and then afterwards they always show the James Bond matinee and, and RT. There's like a loop of about 10 films that goes round in a big loop. Uh, so I have to say, um, yeah, who's your favourite Bond? Roger Moore, because he has that suave English kind of thing going on, which is yeah. obviously something I wanted to be, but I never, never, never happened. Still time. Um, we did another one there. Um, Hi, John, I'm getting married on Friday. Any chance to get borrow your jacket for the day, says Mark and Fork up the Rebels. <laughs> congratulations. We have another one. Uh, yeah, congratulations, Mark. Hi, lads, interesting to see the investment of Shelburne from the Turkish Simon Cowell this week. Do you reckon this could be the start of a few more investments? Will the real Simon Cowell by Bray Wanders, says G. Nolan. Dan, this Shelburne takeover, is this a game changer? Um, I'm not sure about game changer. Um, I mean, the the the, the, the sort of person who's bought them is really big news in Turkey. Like, I sort of was uh, reading up on it here and like, just typed in as you do sort of into Google and got hundreds of like Turkish news sites covering this because he is like as you say the Turkish Simon Cowell like a big sort of media personality and figure you know announcing this takeover of Shelburne to what 6.1 million Twitter followers or something like that now I'm not sure if many of them are AI generated or not Johnny but like (laughs) I'd say a good portion of them are real so um, I don't know like I think there's obviously a a degree of scepticism like with all of these things um in Irish football, you know, there's always a fear that, well, you know, what are they going to find here? You know, will they get bored? Um, what happens if they find out it's pretty hard still to to make money? Um, the multi-club model is a new one because they're sort of paired up with Hull. And this is the thinking of the whole the multi-club model for some people is that if you can derive val- value for the club at the top of the ladder, then maybe it doesn't matter as much if the cogs, the other cogs in the wheel aren't 
profitable. And what I mean is that if 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 shells are capable of like you know preparing players for hold that have a big value for them, well then shells have performed their function even if shells is a standalone. Um, maybe are thriving. So we we shall see. Like just talk of I think two million been invested initially. Um, I see Damien Duff was speaking after the game last night. Said he's been, already been able to get a contract done with a player that they're announcing on Monday. Um, so I, I think I mean we'll probably talk about it after four. Like you know the big talking point in Irish football this week has been infrastructure. Um, it's been facilities. Um, I think what people want from an investor coming in now. Um, is is a commitment to do that you know shells are trying to anyone goes to talca park and see that you know the sort of they've managed to sort of sellotape parts of it back together and to, to play in the Premier division but it's it's not in great shape uh, damien duff himself has spoken about training ground facilities and how they are so if someone's willing to come in and and you know in the opening year uh you know show a desire to put money in to accelerate those projects then i think you'll get people on board very easily i mean the whole fans seem to like him. I think he flew 300 of them over to, to Antalya, where I am at the moment, actually, um, for some kind of holiday last mm. year. So I'm sure the Shells fans might be a, might fancy a bit of that. But um, look, I, I, it's, I think Irish football is in a place where it's been scarred by experiences before. And as a result, there's a degree of scepticism that's there. But sometimes I think is that in danger of making you a little bit too sceptical and, and too much of a closed mind to, to anyone coming in. And the balance has to be somewhere between the two. Um, and they have to prove themselves by maybe making some capital commitments that shows that their time will leave a legacy. And, and hopefully that's what happens. The, the, like the League of Ireland grounds in general are woefully inadequate. Um, even, you know, Tala is our sort of flagship. And Tala is, a by any metric globally, is a bang average stadium. It's just relatively new. It doesn't have, you know, it looks nice, but it's it's an average, average stadium that in the English four divisions would be a, just an average stadium. Uh, nothing stadium really so Tala is obviously you know we're proud of Tala but you look at the rest the problem is JD and I think Drahada had this issue as well somebody comes in and he's told okay well this is what it's going to cost to redevelop the ground because of the spiralling cost of doing anything in this country what was your figure for Daily Mount Dan in um, in the Indo today uh, like Daily I think, yeah I think it's got to around 40 million at the last estimate this is yeah. what 8,000 um, seaters yeah, yeah. Now, the, 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 you know, this point has been raised this week. The, the daily they are flipping the pitch, and it's quite a complicated one in a in a residential area. But the point stands; like it is expensive to get things done here. I didn't answer the first part of your question as well, JD. Will more of this happen? Um, I think it probably will. Um, like you know, the Fleetwood Waterford thing. I mean, there's complexities to that, um, given what's happened to the owner subsequently. But um, there are other clubs looking at Ireland to come in and you know, add clubs to a portfolio and I'd imagine it'll happen in other places probably before the year is out. Yes. So put put in simplest terms, Dan, like what what would you expect to happen here? Like are shells going to end up benefiting because they will get some good players who aren't quite good enough for Hull's first team but will be very, very good League of Ireland players? Or do Hull get Jack Moylan do you know what way do players move here or is it a bit of both I mean that's a reasonably crude way of putting it but I'm just wondering what yeah. way you expect it to play out yeah okay well I mean I'm not entirely sure I do think sometimes there's a very simplistic read of these things mm. for people and people had it with the Hold and Dock one like Liam Rose Senior said something in the press conference I'm not sure how prepared he even was for it at the time um, and all of a sudden it's like well they're going to impose a style of play 
and that's it. And I just don't think that's going to happen. No. Like, I, I really think people are just like, lost the plot on Duffer. On love that. There. And when, but it's just like people are saying that, oh, Duffer's going to, that's not going to happen because, mm, yeah. well, if they're any good at business, they won't allow that to happen. I think what you've seen with Waterford, but no doubt, like Waterford signed uh, with the Dean McMenemy from Shamrock Rovers, what you're probably seeing yeah. is that Shells can pitch in to get players from around Ireland and can, can say to them, well, we do have this link with Hull. Um, but I think, yeah, I think like I think Hull may send players here on loan as well too. But I don't think they can just impose them either. I think, I think, you know, these multi-club models, okay. like you see, Man City are part of like a, a super big one. Mm. Um, I think if they're going to work, there has to be a degree of common sense application. So I don't know how this will work. If, they're, if they have a common okay. sense view, it can be effective. I know we're going to a break. Sorry, Jenny. <laughs> Dan McDonald in Turkey, the Irish Independent, Johnny Ward and Shane Keegan on studio on Football Saturday. We're back after the news between four and five. Plenty to talk about Ireland against Greece next Friday and to Spurs and anything else that uh, tickles your fancy. You can text us. 53106, we're back after this. This is Off The Ball Saturday until 5. John Duggan with you in studio with me, Johnny Ward, the broadcaster and journalist and the co-ramblers manager, Shane Keegan. And on the line from Turkey, Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent, head of Ireland versus Greece on Friday. There's a training camp going on there at the moment. Uh, and we know that it's Man City Inter in the Champions League final at 8 o'clock this evening, Irish time. Women's Premier Division, Shelburne thumped Wexford Youths 5-0. Jesse Stapleton, Hannah Healy, Christy Gray, Gemma Quinn and Kerry Lentman on the mark. A Bohemians 2, Cork City nil at halftime. Neve Pryor and Kira Marr for both. DLR Waves and Treaty United have just kicked off. Shamrock Rovers play P-Mount at 4.45. In the All-Ireland Minor Football quarterfinals, Dublin beat Cork 118-212. to At the moment, in Nolan Park, Kerry 1-11, Kildare 1-6. It's Derry 1-5, Galway 2 points in Carrick and Shannon. And Iga Shiantek is a set-up against Carolina Makova in the French Open Women's Singles Final. But Makova leads 6-5 in that second set and has got a set point right now. So, Dan, it's as you said earlier on, it's crept up on us. It's only, what, next Friday we play Greece in that massive qualifier. Uh, they're in Turkey at the moment. Do we have a sense of what the team might be next Friday? Um, I, I suppose um, it should be straightforward enough in certain areas. There's probably maybe one big position, maybe two positions where there's probably a, a debate to be had. Actually, maybe, maybe maybe there's a couple more, actually. But I think probably, um, you know, it, you look at the last game against France and, and things went pretty well in that game, um, apart from the result, um, you know, but the performance was good. But probably a different type of game to this one in terms of the approach you would expect. And the fact that Chidozi Albany is out with injury, who was so effective in that game, probably... You know, maybe solves one of the decisions that you might have faced. Um, so I suppose, like I still think Gavin Bazina will play in goals. Just I mean, I, I think there's been you know discussions about Queen Kelleher and so on. I still think Bazina is, is Kenny's number one. I'd be surprised if he changed that. Uh, despite the fact he had a tough end to the season. I mean, it's not as if Kelleher is coming in off a better one. Um, and then you you have the. Um, you have the back three available, so it's Darrow O'Shea, it's it's Nathan Collins, it's John Egan. Um, I think Matt Doherty would play at the right wing back switch from the the left to the right. I think one of your decisions is probably Callum O'Dowda versus James McLean on the left. Um, the midfield three has the potential, I think, to be the same. Um, with uh, Josh Cullen will definitely play. Um, and then you've got Jason Malumby and Jason Knight. The only other one is does Will Smallbone in some way come into your thinking? Um, and then your front 
two, I guess, if you're thinking about a front two, and you can always have a box midfield and it's something slightly different. But if you're thinking in front two terms, um, it would be Evan Ferguson and, and Michael Obafemi, uh, I would think. Um, now, I think Mikey Johnston has a chance of involvement, but if you're playing someone like Mikey Johnston, who's been playing regularly in Portugal at the end of the season, uh, you're talking something more a little bit like a 3-4-3 type setup, probably. Um and then you're talking about Evan Ferguson probably leading the line through the middle as a as a central striker. Um, whereas I mean, in Brighton, he's played most of his football in a two. Um, and the game against Latvia, you saw Ferguson and Obafemi. So um, there's a few actual, when you think about it, like there's a few options to, con- to consider. But it, it wouldn't be a shock if it just ended up being that team there with Obafemi and Ferguson. And maybe, I don't know, he was leaning towards Odada as his first choice until he missed the France game, it's it's probably Odada and McLean is one decision there. We are in results territory now, aren't we? Well, yes, uh, firmly. I think to be, I mean, some people would say you always have been in results territory, but I think there was a degree of understanding um, from the FAI's perspective about the, the, the early years under Kenny, but this campaign was always going to be everything. Um, and this campaign was always going to determine his future and, um, the, the the draw was very unfortunate. Um, the flip side of that is that Ireland were third seeds because results hadn't been good enough previously and, and it left them open to a, a 1 in 10 chance to get in this group or actually probably worse than 1 in 10 when you throw in getting Holland as well as top seeds. Um, and here we are. Um, so I think you know, for Ireland to be competitive up till the end of the group, um, they either need to win this game and sort of get through September when they play in France and Holland unscathed, or it's a draw next week. They probably need to do something special in September when they play France and Holland. So, um, you know, winning winning this game um, is a great way to to at least build up at a crack at things in the autumn. Um, failing to win just leaves you sort of in that sort of. Um, I mean, the group was already a stiff task, but you always felt if Ireland were going to have a chance in the group, they needed to beat Greece twice. What about Greece? Where are they at? Yeah, so Greece are managed by Gus Poyet. Um, so I suppose there's a, you know, a familiar name <laughs> there. Um, what do you think of when you think of Gus Poyet? I think of Headers. FA Cup of yeah. Chelsea, probably. Or, right header. Or, it runs into the yeah. box. Yeah. Um, we had, obviously had a time managing Brighton, which was sort of um, in Sunderland. So... Um, some colourful stories, but uh, like Greece, I mean Greece were fourth seeds, which obviously reflects that they've 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 dropped to a, a low position from I suppose winning the Euros in in what two thousand and four, um, and they are one of these teams who's used the Nations League pretty effectively because they're already starting this campaign knowing they already have a playoff because they won their group last year in the Nations League. So even if they came fifth in this group, if Gibraltar beat them. And they're in the playoff next March. Um, so it's probably even more of a free hit for them, this campaign. Um, and under Poyet, the results have been good. But sort of sort of not dissimilar to Ireland in a, in a way, it looks like they've played better against the better teams. Um, they have some good away performances against Spain and they've been hard to beat in these games. And yet some of their games against fairly uninspiring teams, like they've got modest performances. So... To be honest, I wouldn't say there's a huge amount between these sides. Um, and um, I think it's a game that Ireland are capable of winning, but they can't win it by being 60%. You know, 60, 65, 70%. They How do they oppose the game, to... Dan? Well, 
I, I still think, okay, the, the heat has been a big discussion point. It is going to be a 9.45 p.m. Um, local time kickoff. So it's it's obviously going to be warm and it's going to be demanding, but it's not... It's like 27 it's like degrees tops today. It's not too bad. Like It's like it's like Armenia last year. The big thing about Armenia last year, that game was at 5 o'clock local time, three o'clock, you know, 2 o'clock Irish time. It was a TV thing. And that was bad luck, definitely. No, Ireland were dreadful, but like it was really warm. I think in this game... We'll talk about the heat and the build-up, but I don't think it it, it it is as overhanging as it would be if it was an afternoon or a late evening kickoff. It's not quite that. So um, how do Ireland approach it? I think they probably still have to... Like Ireland's strength probably still is in... For all the, the Kenny era discussion about playing better football and being more easy on the eye, Ireland aren't a team with, with goals in them, uh, you know, with loads of goals in them. So... They just have to have that sort of solid structure. I think this is the thing. I think later in the year when Ireland play Greece and Dublin, seeing where they are, there's obviously a view that the back three system can be sometimes overly defensive. And you might be thinking, God, is this the type of game where against a team like Greece where you'd like to be playing with a back four and wingers, which is probably still in some ways Stephen Kenny's natural instinct, you would feel. Um, but I think for Greece, um, it's, it's a matter of just like of being sort of careful enough in how you approach it and maybe this comes into the selection thing but does he even start with Ferguson and Obafemi is that for you I don't know what Shane thinks like is that is that almost in danger of being too positive like do you actually need uh, you know a, a different presence someone like Will Smallbone in there who can help you retain possession a little bit better and and that's part of the debate. Um, but I did feel when the draw happened for Ireland and there was a debate around formations and all this, like uh, take a, take the Gibraltar game out of it. Um, you know, France at home, Greece away, France away, the Dutch at home. You could see why Ireland would, would play with a very similar system for all those games, um, albeit with little tweaks here and there. Yeah, I've been very, very impressed with with Smallbone, and if you were just making an argument for a players, um, I would be able to make a pretty good argument for him. The only thing I would say is, and Dan has kind of touched on it, um, the one that I I think could be the 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 unexpected, if if you could call him unexpected, could be Michael Johnson because of you look at the role of Ben A. Actually, it's quite similar to what I said about Man City and a formation in possession and out of possession. Dan has kind of described it, I suppose, as our in possession formation was probably three five two. Our out of out of possession formation was five four one, and because of Ben A's running he's able to play two roles. He was able to play as a strike partner to Evan Ferguson when we had it, and he was able to play essentially as a right winger when we didn't have it. And who has that skill set? Who has, you know, Obafemi probably has it in him in his legs. I'm not sure if he has it in him upstairs in terms of a want to give you that much work rate to, to go and play right wing when you don't have the he's ball. No, he's no defensive mindset at there all. There we are. Like, like, that's what I mean. I would say it as bluntly. <laughs> Whereas I think Mikey Johnson could be the one who could give you both. You say to him, um, look, you get right up there with, with Evan Ferguson. You play in around him. You try and stretch in behind when, when we're in possession of the ball. Um, but when we don't, you, you get a shift on and you get right outside outside in front of, of, of Matt Doherty very, very quickly. So I would expect that he's the one. For me, it's it's a straight call between Knight and, and Smallbone. I don't think both can end up um, in the same team because I don't see where the, the pace in behind comes from if, if those two end up getting paired together. Um, 
I'm just getting to get getting a preview piece together on them actually for at the moment. So I was looking. The one thing that make I think again makes it very interesting is these boys average a hell of a lot of possession. Like they're always in and around the sixty plus um, possession. It was well over sixty percent against against Northern Ireland. Um, That's not bad for us, Shane. Either I think. Like I, I think if Ireland Stephen Kenny has to approach this game and like throw away this kind of romanticism about owning the ball and all that. And I know we're not going to try to own the ball, but be happy to say that we are going to be. Kind Content and sit back and use our pace on the break and see how the game develops rather than trying to kind of impose ourselves early because if you're playing a possession team it will be quite hot even at that hour of the night just feel it out and see how we're going but don't like we've had some bad performances against teams that are probably a bit inferior to us yeah, but they're, they're, like, there's no doubt he's developed that side of it already, Johnny. Mm. I mean, he's he's put, you know, I think okay, first I mean, couple of games. it wasn't long ago though. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's like we've had bad away performances. Oh yeah, no. What I'm saying is, I don't think I think Stephen has evolved as an international manager. That totally. it's not just you know, well, we're going to dominate possession and we're going to run around like headless chickens after them mm. to get the ball back as quickly as possible. I think he's showed periods where he's been perfectly happy to sit off and let mm. the opposition have the ball at at, at times. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't think he'd be overly happy to, to if he's told before kickoff that Greece are going to have 60-65% of possession tonight so it's trying to get that balance right between at times allowing them to have it but at times making sure that we have enough of the ball I mean we shouldn't be just saying okay let's sacrifice the ball against Greece here and play purely on the counter yeah, I don't, me, mean, I don't, no, mean, I, I don't mean that because we have the players against Greece to have plenty of the ball but I think we have to be very very cognizant of the fact like don't concede here like be good at the back and make sure that we're in a position that if we score if we go 1-0 up in this game we're in a great position but if we go 1-0 down all, this, all the doubts will start creeping in again yeah and, and it, it is that big of a game like Oh, it is. Look, it, it is an absolutely massive game. And I, I suppose the argument I was trying to make when, when I saw the draw made initially, I think there is, a, I don't know, is there a perception that we should be winning this one? Like, I, I we're, think, we're not going to be odds on. Like, so the, I, would have, I would have thought a draw over there is a decent result, mm. um, personally myself. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably just the nature of the group that has met it. Mm, that is, yeah. I think if Ireland's, if Ireland's second seed was, I don't know, Bosnia or something, mm. we'd probably be talking about the group in a... You know, mm. in, a, in, in a way that you'd be putting Bosnia and Greece in a similar enough bracket, it, like that way of thinking, it's a good away point. But because it's France and Holland, you're just thinking you have to beat Greece. That's 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 where it comes from, you know, and it's not necessarily based on a reasonable expectation, but you're sort of thinking, as I said, if Ireland draw with Greece, which on a, on its own, is, as I said, I don't think you'd argue it would have been a bad result looking at the recent results, but then you're looking at September thinking, Ireland have to win one of those games against France and Holland, and and probably not lose the other one, you know. And or and even then, you need to do something probably remarkable in Amsterdam in November. So that's the thing. It's I think with Ireland, you feel like this whole group revolves around getting to that game with Holland in Dublin in September, with them under a little bit of pressure, playing a little bit of catch up, and obviously winning. Because they had the bad start against France and they got hammered and they had a change of manager, so you want to like get the points on the board now, put the Dutch under a little bit of pressure. That to me is the only avenue to a top two finish. So that's yeah, and that's I, I think Ireland, Ireland definitely there. have very very good chance of beating the Dutch once or at least getting something off them. Aye. Like they absolutely the, the Dutch are not they're not an extremely good side, and Ireland were excellent against France. Really, with a bit of luck, should have nicked a draw. Yeah, I, think are, I think Ireland uh, under Kenny at times against so-called better teams have performed well Portugal mm. away well, 
uh, and at home. Uh, but the inconsistency is the issue, and this is this is one of these inconsistency games in my head. I wouldn't be worrying about the Dutch game per se. I, I'm worried about the Greece game because, as you say, JD, this one I don't really know what to expect from Ireland here because there's a bit of an onus on us to win, which is probably a little bit unwarranted. It's in a it's in a hot country against a team that isn't bad and um, that will have a lot of the ball. The Dutch game, like I, I don't really worry about us opening it against like these big names that that like are very good. But the Greek game, that is my concern. And if we go one 0 down and we give away a sloppy goal, some of the players are coming into the game in patchy form at club level as well. Um, it's it's in that weird no man's land where it's at the end of the season, but it's quite a bit after the end of the season. So I, I am wary of it. I'm, I'm definitely worried. I, I asked this question, uh, JD, just to, as part of the narrative rather than pushing, betting or anything like that. So I don't know. Have you looked already? What? So I've just had a quick look. What what price do you think we are to beat Greece this weekend? We're probably like, at a guess, 15 to 8, 13 to 8. So we're 9 to 4. All right. yeah, I didn't think we'd be that big. Okay, so we're, we're actually long outsiders in the, in the and, game. And that's the reality, yeah. lads. And that's like, and again, like, I, probably I say this, and, and, and I keep saying this, I'm saying this as somebody who is, I suppose, behind Stephen and somebody who, who thinks that Stephen is potentially doing the job, a good job, and, and can continue to improve us and, and do a good job going forward. And because I think all that, I don't want people's perception to be if we finish in the top two Stephen has done a good job and if we don't finish in the top two Stephen hasn't done a good job because my honest opinion JD is I don't think we have a hope in hell of finishing in the top two I don't think we have a hope in hell of finishing in the top two that's just based on the resources and based against the teams we've been drawn against well say the Dutch like lose against France again which going on the first game is very very possible right and we don't know how it's going to work under Koeman because they were shambles against France right so they could have a bad group they just could it, it's not out of the question. Like. Do you think we're possible to m- pick up more points off of the Dutch over two games than they're going to pick up off of us? It's possible we get four points off the Dutch. I, I really wouldn't even, see even, it. Even, even look if at their team, Johnny. I, look at our team. We're, we're a million miles off. I, I, if you, the, the Dutch were shambles against France. Yeah, but they didn't have an illness in the camp or something. We're playing France. Just look, they were 5-2, to two, yeah. 5-2 to two to win that game. I'd, I'd actually, I am going to back us at that. <laughs> I'm, I'm more confident than that. Like, so. But I think, I think the point is, I think, I think the, the, the pressure that Kenny is under is not quite to finish in the top two. I mean, obviously that would be ideal. Um, it's just to have that degree of being competitive mm. to be there up till the end. Because I think, I think most people know what an Irish manager I think most people reasonably would expect of an Irish manager, you know, that to achieve something, you're generally upsetting the odds. I mean, mm. this, this, you know, this, this sort of um, ties in with this sort of the infrastructure stuff again. Like as a nation, like we have no right to, to deserve anything, you know, whether football infrastructure, what it is. Um, I think just the issue with Stephen is that, um, like he's had a lot of these big games in his time where the team have performed really well. But at one point, you just need to get one of them over the line, just to yeah. just to make people believe that in reality, right, the most realistic scenario for Ireland and this Euros campaign is playing in a playoff next March mm. because of the Nations League position, because of the the way things are looking. Ireland, I think if you're doing your odds on that, you'd price up Ireland to probably get a playoff just on the basis of everywhere. Now it's not guaranteed, but what it means is that next March, the chances are Ireland will be going in against teams that are again slightly better or similar level or you might have one or two who are a li- you know considerably mm. better um and you have to believe that a Stephen Kenny team when it comes to the crunch can deliver a win in those matches and i think probably why that's why people are putting a big onus in some ways on the Greece thing yes like you have to have the discussion about the top 2 
um, because you just I mean, that's the, the you, I think that the way Stephen Kenny will be speaking to his players, you have to believe that it's possible. Yeah, and, you know, and, and, as well as, 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 as the mad thing about it is, you, yeah, go ahead. Like, let me. The mad thing about it is, is that like, I, listen, the Dutch are miles better on paper in every way. The way the fixtures are ordered, right? The way fixtures, the way things are lined up, like you know. The fact that France hammered them, like when the France French played them again, there is half a chance that Ireland could go to Holland in November within touching distance of them, and you have a you have a shot at glory, right? That's what you're hoping, as much as it's unlikely. But I think there's probably pressure on Kenny to at least get his team to around that point being competitive, to inspire the belief that next March in a playoff scenario they can do it, and that's why these games. He just needs to get one of these wins on his list. Pound, he just hasn't got them. Pound for know? pound, that's the, the, problem. the Portuguese team that we very nearly beat over there and drew against at home are probably every bit as good, if not better, than the Dutch team, right? And you will get international teams who are just not at it, who like don't believe in the manager. So how many points did we pick up against Portugal? Yeah, but we okay. We we were five points away from at least getting a draw. We played, and we if Aaron Connolly actually had a bit of confidence in front of goal that night, we created chances. I don't think it's out, as outlandish. But the performance against France, I think Shane will agree with this. There's a lot of rubbish shit about the performance against France. Ireland were outstanding against France in that they mixed pragmatism and an actual ability to very nearly score at the end. And the stadium was buzzing that night. Like I've never experienced. You need, that the res- you need to marry that. With so results, so though. so now we're in that place where we're in a very good place, but you need to marry it with a, at the very least a draw in Greece. Because if we lose in Greece. We're in serious, serious. You will fill two hours of radio. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can't talk about the Saudis every week. Uh, well, Sam White has been in touch on uh, YouTube, lads. Why don't you go to Newcastle and see for yourself? Mike Ashley didn't care. But everything about the Saudis, the people on the ground who liaise with the PIF, uh, care about the club. Hold on. Uh, Amanda Stavely <laughs> fought to buy the club for nearly five years. She wanted long before the PIF came on board. And the reality is that you'll never know how it feels unless you support the likes of Man City or Newcastle. I was loyal to the club on Ashley for 15 years. Why would I walk away now? That, that's the thing. The contrast between the Saudis and Ashley, I mean, it's it's like yin and yang. But like, yeah, it wasn't exactly replacing a great regime, was it? He didn't want anything except to make money. And the Saudis don't give it. They're spunking money away. They don't care about the money. But it's a completely different narrative. But they will run the club far better. Absolutely. That's why I I'm ashamed to admit I voted for a Saudi takeover of Goy United because it was like we have no assets here I was told it had nothing to do with the regime it was like this is these are Saudi businessmen they'll come in they'll invest money Goy United have zero assets the only thing they had was the player where the players were worth no money so it was like let's see what's the worst that can happen and I was ashamed to admit that I, I was sucked into that thing as well language Timothy <laughs> uh, uh, we have another text uh, don't worry Kenny will have the excuses ready that's his biggest quality says Mick stop I think he's, he could have. I think genuinely, his his media performances have been a bit hit and miss. I think he makes too many kind of apologies. I was there actually. Yeah, I was there after the France game, and and I asked the first two questions, and he was he just straight up about it. So yeah, I was encouraged by that. Yeah, so, but the French game was kind of easy to explain because that was an excellent performance. It's more he so was the, talking about the Latvia game there and, and talking hmm. about the brilliance of it, and I, I, I didn't yeah. really. Uh, sometimes that can be a bit you know, like it's not all brilliant. Yeah, absolutely not. We we conceded bad goals that night, um, but I I think he's probably getting a bit better at that as well, and. I really hope for him. I think he's, you know, I think he's a really good man. I, I, I love his philosophy on how he wants to play better. Bear in mind as well, we're going to have some very good underage players coming through who've played football really well for Ireland in passing teams. Whoever the manager is going forward, and it's a lot more, it's a lot bigger than Stephen Kenny, whoever is in charge in in ten years' time. Uh, Dan, okay, this if, this money that the FAI are looking for over the next fifteen years, like eight hundred and sixty-three million, some of which will be raised by themselves, but they'll be looking for a majority state investment. I believe sixty percent. I suppose the question I would have is: is the political will there for this to to be, I suppose, realised? 
Well, listen, that that is the bottom line question. I think in in political circles in recent years, I mean, um, I think Michal Martin sat in that studio at one point talking to Joe and um, I suppose at, at many points in, in I don't know as long as I'm covering football, you know, you, you will you would look to government at various stages and and you chat to people then privately and they would say, well, the FEI have never really come with a coherent plan for funding. Like that would be a massive criticism. Is that yes, you can have the perception that we need money and uh, we'd like some money, please. Um, and I suppose everyone says that, right? Like every sport says that. The difference is that the FEI now have actually committed a plan to paper, you know, a 15-year plan. And generally, like the Irish football uh, world, you know, the discourse around it can be very cynical. Um, I think it's a history of, um, you know, sitting through uh, dreadful FEI presentations, which were in many cases just set up to sort of propagate on behalf of the the, the one-time great leader um, rather than actually debating the issues. And I think what's what's encouraging about the report this week is that it's a plan. It's a, It lays out what needs to be done. It doesn't sort of sugarcoat the reality. It sort of says things are terrible. You know, things are really bad. Um, we have to admit that things are really bad. That is, you can debate why, the re, why that is, um, but it is really bad. Um, but here is what we can do. Um, and at least if you present that to government, they can't say, well, they don't have a plan anymore. You know, and is the political will there? I mean, uh, I think there is an election around the corner. Um, you know, I think there are probably, um, from what you would hear, there probably are figures in government who are quite receptive to this. Whether that translates to the actual amounts that they're looking for, well, that's that's unclear. But I think in some ways to, to get bogged down too much into the detail of, oh, they want 200 for this or 250 for that. The biggest step is to establish the principle that this is worth investing in. Um, because other countries in Europe, like every country in Europe plays football, you know, very few try to do it as cheaply as Ireland do. Um, and then expect to like compete and talk about qualifying for tournaments and stuff. So, um, the, the principle has to be established that there's a value in trying to create better infrastructure and to create a football industry here. And if government commit to that, um, I think you can probably then debate well, how much they're willing to devote to it. But I think they've made a decent case, at least, of presenting that argument because the point is made in the document, like, if we keep doing things as we're doing them at the moment, uh, there's only one way things are going to go, and that's going to be down. You know, and that's that's the reality. You, you cannot expect to compete in a global sport. Um, you know, where you're you're looking at other countries of like you know, Estonia and Latvia. Never mind, like we're talking about beating Greece and and sort of competing with France and and Netherlands. Look at Estonia and Latvia and people who have like multiples of staff um, at their underage clubs than we do. You know, with central government funding as well too. So um, we eventually have to decide do we want to play football seriously in this country or not. The days of re- relying on the magic dust of a manager coming in and getting 11 players on the pitch and every, you know going and have a party for a summer and convincing ourselves everything is okay, um, those days are gone. Um, and if you want to sort of build a better future, you probably have to get on board with a version of this. But I appreciate there may be different views on that. The, the funny thing as well is like Dan goes on about there, the, you know, the political will and all that. And 
the horse and greyhound fund is has been there for so long. Charlie McCreevy brought it in. Um, we'll say two thousand and one was it, and um, it's just like kind of notion. Um, oh, well, you can't really like obsess like the horsey set kind of thing. It was like, like there are no horse racing trainers hardly at all in Dublin. There are no horse racing trainers in large parts of the country. Football is everywhere in this country. Football is everywhere. Like I was at home last few days. Shivan Rovers in my parish have been absolutely massive. The role that they played in the community, um, you know. Shamrock Rovers came to play Galway United in a friendly there. Great facilities. Really, really proud of what we've done. Football is all over this country. Horse racing isn't. Horse racing is getting money um, because it's kind of accepted at this stage. But we're likely to have a Sinn Féin-led government in the next, um, you know, you know, the next election, I would imagine. It's it's more likely than not. Sinn Féin it traditionally was a working class party. There's nothing to be feared by giving football money that it, it is absolutely due at this stage, JD. We can't get away with this kind of situation where we just let players go to England and had really third world facilities in a first world country it's it's not on anymore the country is awash with cash absolutely football deserves to get it yeah I, I, I'll be honest with JD when this came out I, I suppose I was in a position where you're, you're kind of so busy with actual football stuff and, and, and other stuff that I kind of skimmed it and uh such such is is Dan standing in in football that I just said listen I'll, I'll just wait and see what Dan makes of it and uh, if he if he's for it well then it's it's probably a reasonably good thing I mean in the sense of where is the money needed I suppose the two most recent roles I would have had in in football I mean the the gaps are absolutely yawning so if we take it as a as a League of Ireland first division manager at the moment um I mean Dan spoke earlier about stadiums okay to be honest with you I I as the manager very different for me compared to say Johnny Gunn as a spectator but me as a manager is not overly concerned with the infrastructure of the stadium my concern is the lack of infrastructure we have in terms of training facilities okay so we we own nothing we own nothing we we rent a, a, a an astroturf pitch on a Monday night in Co- and we went to rent an AstroTurf pitch on a Wednesday night in, in Mayfield and you're constantly paying out for these kind of facilities oh yeah, yeah yeah. now to be fair you know both both facilities are working very well with us and, and, and giving us the best rate they possibly can but it still adds up as you can imagine and that's just the first team because bear in mind now you've got all these underage teams mm-hmm. so you're renting those facilities for every team in your club so imagine how much that's mounting up to and where that money could go if, if you were able to use it in, in a different way um, but we have nothing that we can call our own that also John creates like a culture even the fact that we have to train in two different places you know you've nowhere that you can call home there is no such thing as a home for us in terms of how we train and how you you know you look at at anybody who has their own facilities you'll you'll start to put up you know memorabilia around the place you'll start to put past teams you'll start to create like Shamrock Rovers at Roadstone is the ultimate example becomes a hub exactly and it becomes gives starts to build your identity we don't have that at at Cove Ramblers and we really 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 need it and then if I go back to the previous role as Academy Director at Treaty I mean my god John you're you're trying to perform the miracle of the loaves and fishes like it's it's you've got one, two, three, four, five underage teams at, at boys' level, two underage teams at girls' level, seven underage teams, right? Me as a marginally somewhere between part-time and full-time employee at, at in the underage structure and outside of me, you know, vast majority of coaches getting 50 quid a week to cover their diesel to and, and, and from training. And you're trying to cater for all of those players, give them the best possible footballing upbringing you can possibly give them. Like, it's absolutely mission impossible. Absolutely mission impossible. And, like, if, if this gets buy-in and if we're able to put proper infrastructures in terms of that that player development pathway you know again I don't think anybody involved in underage football in Ireland expects to get rich on the back of it but you know you 
to be to be a serious person and to put the amount of time that needs to be put into this if you're going to do it right you know you have to be reasonably well bloody remunerated for the time that you're putting in there I think as well we we've, we have this post-colonial relationship with England which very much was in the when Ireland was a basket case economically 40s, 50s we sent all our sons and daughters to England essentially if not the States with England to work and football was kind of an offshoot of that and now we have a situation where we're a very wealthy country sports mad country football is our biggest participation sport and we're laughably behind in terms of everything pretty much from the National League right down to underage facilities we have I think we have the talented Colin O'Brien spoke about knowledge as power in terms of the coaching in this country I have massive time for the coaching um, minds of this country and what they're doing at League of Ireland level underage level in Ireland and down but everything else JD we're, 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 we're laughably behind and, and Dan has pointed out before like we we are the, the people who are involved in underage development in this country are helping us punch so far above our weight often it's, volunteers it's unbe- almost well, certainly down at the lower levels with the coves and, and, and the treaties of the world, guaranteed to be volunteers, probably costing them a fortune to be doing this, to be honest with you, the amount of time and money that they're putting into to investing in themselves and, and travelling. They, they do that, JD, not to better themselves in terms of their own career, but they generally do what I think for the kids. I think they do. I think they actually have this aspiration that this football family thing, we want this for the kids. Like we I, want the kids to do better. I, I spoke about how, how under-resourced the setup was at Treaty, and yet we played Treaty last night and you had 19-year-old Darren Nwanku starting at centre-back for them and excelling. Josh Quinn-Living comes off the bench, Scott Kirtland comes off the bench, all still under-19 footballers. And it's like, I'm the opposition manager, but I'm looking at this with almost a sense of pride in that, Jesus, how well are Treaty doing well, in terms of... And how well are Treaty doing in terms of producing players good enough for League of Ireland First Division football? Danny, get the last yeah, word on this. Yeah, and I just think the important point as well is that naturally, it, it, probably given our interest, like it spins off into a discussion about the... The League of Ireland situation, and this, I'm, I'm, I'm well up for that. And I think there's talk about you know 140 million for academies in that. And I think there's an academy plan separately that's going to be rolled out later in the year. Um, but probably just for people who maybe have glanced through this story or heard it in passing, um, like the main part of this survey for me, the most effective part is it was, was sorry that they got a survey of like I think 87 percent of clubs from around the country responded. Um, and these were like grassroots clubs. And I mean, some of the stats is what Shane sort of touched on there. Like more than half don't own their own grounds. The 25% don't even qualify for sports capital funding because of their conditions. And I mean, the year that's in it, I think what 38% don't have uh, female friendly mm-hmm. toilets. And like we have a Women's World Cup coming this summer where every politician, if they go well or if not, will be falling over themselves and um, to get on board behind it. Yet, and the reality is that almost half of, of grounds around the country where people start, they don't even have proper toilet facilities for them. So that, to me, is where you, you, you build your case. And, and with the horse racing, greyhound racing, betting tax stuff lately, which I would have been probably involved in, in covering a fair bit of that, um, part of the, the, the rebuttal would be maybe from people in the horse racing world when they felt that they were being, uh, they were being attacked was, well, you know, FEI, go and make your own case for funding. Like, go and make your own case for funding and, and, and justify it. And I think they've probably met a decent stab at doing that. And they've sort of, in probably in tennis parlance, they've knocked the ball back into the government's court now and say, are you willing to support this sport, which loads of people play? They're going to continue to play it. Um, but they do it in facilities. And, and, and sorry, the last point as well. I'm sure we probably get messages in, well, the FAI wasted this and the FAI wasted that. And 
absolutely true. Like football has been let down by disgraceful administration. But the, the, the point with that is that do you continue to punish like some imaginary people in Abbottstown for this? Or do you punish all the people who play the game and will continue to play the game? And I think that's like the key point here that when you're talking about funding for football, it's not about, and, and this is the problem with the largesse that existed before. People think that money's going there where you have to clearly um, establish that this money can actually make a difference to a lot of people playing the game. And I sound like I'm, I'm sort of a propagandist for them and I'm sort of uncomfortable with that um, because that's not the type of, you know, that's not the way it should be. Um, but I think on this issue, you know, there is a point here where football definitely um, has been under-resourced and is entitled to make its point. Okay, uh, i got to take a break. Um, 53106, it'll be interesting to see the moral reaction of the event on oil-backed funders state to try to buy an Irish club. Hi JD, would this new stadium thing not be solved if we just moved the Duns to Dublin once and for all and put them in Aircon Park? A hashtag up the Saints is Mark and Tala, which is quite a funny one. And Kieran on Twitter, I want the rose glasses Johnny's looking through. Ireland will finish fourth in the group. Kenny's had more time than anyone ever had in world football. Manager who can max out players' abilities is needed. It's not Kenny, it never was. Yeah, well, I think if Ireland finished fourth, I don't think Stephen Kenny even will go into the meeting and make a massive case that, you know, he, he hasn't been given the time 100%. Um, you know, football, the, the qualification groups are so short. Look can play a massive part, but at the same time, and we, he's had his chance, absolutely. So this is his time to deliver, absolutely. Into the final set in France, Schrottek 3, Mukova 3. We're back after this. This is Off the Ball Saturday, John Duggan till five with Dan McDonald in Turkey from the Irish Independent uh, at the Irish training camp ahead of the Greece game next Friday. Shane Keegan, Cove Ramblers, Boston Studio with Johnny Ward, the broadcaster and journalist. Shelburne beat Wexford Youths 5 0 in the Women's Premier Division. Bohemians lead Cork 2 0. It's Dealer Waves 0, Treaty United 0. Shamrock Rovers and Piedmont just about to kick off. Uh, Offaly won 7, Wexford 10 points in the Charlton Cup preliminary quarter final at O'Connor Park. The minor football quarter finals Kerry B. Kildare 213 to 111. Dublin edged Cork 118-212. At the moment, Derry 1-9, Galway 4 points. Ronan O'Gara's La Rochelle 14, Bordeaux 3 in the top 14 playoff semi-final. And they're into the final set between uh, Shantek and Makova in the French Open women's final. And Makova is 4-3 up and a break up in that one. And Postacoglu, Shane Keegan, discuss. <laughs> I am uh, what are you laughing at it's just spurs it's just like you know it's the hope that you don't even ever have hope this is when Dan and Johnny tune out for five minutes Um, I am very excited by the idea JD yeah I am I am I am I I think it's a risk Um, it's a risk for a number of reasons I'll come back to them but I'll, I'll, I'll give you why I'm excited first and foremost I'm excited because we were served up I sound like such a supporter here well I am a supporter we were served up an awful awful style of football last season absolutely awful and I was saying that when we were fourth in the table never mind when we started to, to go into free fall um, there are few managers in world football as married to their style of play as, as Postacoglu is he is and he just sums it up I think his, his phrase that he always uses four, four words is, is keep it on the ground keep it on the ground and he he will he will absolutely attempt to play exciting passing football 100% um it will be extremely extremely high intensity um i think we'll have casualties at tottenham on we'll the back Harry of Kane that. Be one of them um i think 
I, I think they have to do everything they possibly can to hold on to him everything they possibly can to hold on to him and I think uh, Postacoglu will want to build a team around him um, because you can have all the, the high intensity you, you, only, you only want to be holding on to him if he wants to stay because if, if he doesn't want to stay and he leaves in a year that's 80 to 100 million you've lost yeah 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 I, agreed agreed and it's up to Postacoglu and up to the board by the signings that they make over in the as quickly as possible to show to give him reason to want to stay. Um, but look, there is certainly potential for fireworks. I think on on a couple of fronts, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, he is he is a proven manager of. Uh, likes to speak truth to power and that could obviously have uh, have issues that's for sure um, and the other thing is that that training regime is supposed to be as tough as tough comes um, which has led to by the way and this is the other thing has led to at, at most of his clubs JD if you look back at the history at most of his clubs it's been a slow start it's took it's taken a while to bed in because he he whips them so hard at the start that it's, it's they're they're almost kind of tired and not knowing where they are. I you think need five to ten players to do that because Eric Dyer, um, uh, Davinson Sanchez, uh, Clement Longley, they ain't going to be able for it. In my yeah, view. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think there is going to have to be a big a big turnover in player. Um, and I assume those discussions were had before he was uh, before he was appointed. I I would think he has already given a list of his. I'll I'll have and I'll have not. Um, I think there's they're definitely going to need to be a big turnover there. But this, and I know it's said about everybody going in, like this has to be given time, Jetty. This absolutely and money, and money, yeah. and money. It has to be given time and money. But I think, you know, supporters. I think by and large, Spurs supporters will have moaned so long and so hard about the style of play that I would like to think if the early style of play is good, but results maybe aren't quite there. Hopefully, supporters will be clued enough in. Well, they won't be blaming know. Ange; they'll be blaming Levy if that's the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I do think they need to, to, they need to go. Okay, well, we've asked for this style of football. It's not just you can't just flick a switch and 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 immediately get no. an improved style of football. So if it's going to take half a season, and if it means one more season, if it means the first season under Pascal doesn't get Champions League football. Um, I'd nearly accept that for the first season to be honest with you in, in hope of the greater good in the longer term with him You've, uh, Alexis McAllister moved to Liverpool during the week you said you read something about him there's a fantastic piece in the Athletic like I know um, the Athletic obviously it's an interesting kind of deep dives yeah, yeah. this is proper deep dive like it goes I, I think I mean apologies I, I can't remember the writer I'm not sure if he actually went to Argentina but he did all bar go if he didn't go and um, like McAllister's background his brother's names are um, Kevin and like, like Steve or something like it's, it's um, Francis and Kevin like so they've this like weird kind of background where there's an Irish pedigree and I'd say there could be like Scotch Irish because the McAllister name and it was maybe like but we, we dealt with that a bit during the World Cup but the big, story big of Home Alone fans big Home Alone yeah there we go <laughs> um, Kevin um, but the story of him and like I hope you don't mind me asking, but Shane tells me about um, his son who's developing a, an extremely rare knack to run, and so he can run two kilometers it's in. A bit of a tangent now, Johnny. He can run two kilometers in. Johnny, seven forty-six. 
746. 746. <laughs> so Shane, now, if, if you were a dad of um, a kid who's shown promise, it makes such a difference that if you can kind of, the, the parenting of the kid is so important. And McAllister's upbringing was, all, that's the reason he became a footballer, because his dad was a footballer. The kids all became footballers. They were playing football very, very early. And he was just technically better than, they used to say about his dad, if his dad could head the ball, go into a tackle with his head or his foot, he'd go in with his head because he was all bravery. But McAllister developed technical ability. Raquel May was his um, kind of his like hero growing up and like he would have gone through clubs that had like Redondo as well Raquel May and I think Maradona as well so he had, a, had this kind of upbringing but what really shines through in the article JD is what a beautiful humble guy he is and he just loves playing football and Liverpool are going to get like a brilliant brilliant personality but I dare say they need a lot more than McAllister to challenge or to be anywhere three or four of them in, in the middle of the in park. midfield alone yeah, yeah. but da- it's a great piece Dan, um, just before we go, Shane Duffy going to Norwich. Will that kind of revitalise his career? Do you think? Um, well, you would hope so. I mean, nothing could be worse than last season when he basically didn't play at all, and um, for Fulham, bar a couple of one-minute cameos here and there. You know, David uh, Wagner, the manager, um, I was looking previously when he was manager of Huddersfield when they got promoted. Um, they, he had two big centre halves in the back four. That was his preferred system at that time. Uh, I just can't think of their names. It was an Austrian fellow, I think. It was like six four, six five. So, um, you know, clearly, uh, they, you know, it, it's it, the, Stephen Kenny when he suggested recently that Duffy was close to a move. The the message he had from Duffy was that it seemed like this manager was happy to build a team around him. Um, so clearly, Duffy's not just been signed on a deal because of experience and throw him in for a year and see what happens. It seems like he might get a proper chance to play um, with a team who presumably is going to be structured in a particular way that they need someone with his attributes to play to his best attributes. So if that proves to be the case, um, brilliant, because he's, well, he's still, Shane Duffy is still, well, he's 31 um, now at the moment. So, um, you know, he's got time on his side still to, to sort of, to make the best of the rest of his career and, Probably from his perspective, he'd hope to play himself back into the Ireland squad at least. Coleman being offered a new deal, yeah, sure. like, absolutely. I, like honestly, like I've written James Coleman off for years at this stage. I can't get over how he like his performance against France, his performance for Everton. He's an amazing, amazing, um, like the injury that he had. We all remember the images of it. I, I, I honestly think he's one of Ireland's best sportsmen ever for what he's achieved. Hundred percent. And a nice message from Shane Duffy about David Moyes, wasn't it? Uh, during the week after the the Conference League win and that kind of says trophies do matter still they still matter it doesn't matter what the level is they matter uh, and you see the way the uh, West Ham uh, players and David Moyes celebrated that uh, so Dan what's the plan now just very briefly about a minute what's the plan then for the next few days when do they go to Greece they go to Greece on I'm not sure when they're travelling I think it's Wednesday that they travel so um, yeah Stephen Kenny is doing press over the next couple of days a couple of the players so um, yeah, we've got three three days of media stuff now building up towards travelling to Athens. I'm travelling late on Tuesday night. I think the team are travelling on Wednesday. And there we go. Yeah. What are you up to on a proper... Saturday night in Antalya, Dan? Presumably find somewhere to watch the Champions League final. I mean, it is. I presume State TV will have it on, given the, uh, you know, given the way things are. No Wikipedia over here, so we can't do any work. Right, OK. What's the prediction, Dan? Um... Uh, City to win, but, you know, half-time draw, City to win. Okay, thanks, Dan. See you, lads. What's your prediction, Uh, Manchester City, 2-0. Yours? I'll go, I'll go... 3-0 3-0 I think they'll, they'll it depends like Shane says on who scores like how early the first goal is 
because all bets are kind of off then. But I definitely think Ireland are a bet at that price to be Greece. <laughs> would, you, would you agree, Shane? Big outsiders, like. Yeah, you're, you're not. You're not giving any. No, you. You're surprised at the odds, though. There you go. You'd hope for a draw. No, 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 no. I was saying the odds to me show that we are like our expectation. I think expectations yeah. are way out kilter with reality. Prediction tonight. Um. Yeah. Uh, in line with pretty much what yourself and Dan both said, I think they will eventually find a way, but I think they could have to wait an hour before getting one, and then I think they'll get a second two 0 Shane Keegan, cover on his manager, and Johnny Ward. Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks, Thank Jeff. Thank you for listening, folks. We've got to leave it there. Uh, don't forget, off the ball back tomorrow, one to seven here on News Talk. Joe Malloy and Stephen Doyle in the chair. We'll have Tommy Walsh at Croke Park for Kilkenny Galway. James O'Connor as well at the Gaelic Grounds for Limerick against Clare. There's a Sunday paper review as well, and Keith Tracy will review the Champions League final. Be sure to join it. Uh, to Tune in, even. Nearly there to Joe and Stephen tomorrow. One o'clock start. Missed any of OTB Football Saturday with Shane Keegan, Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward or our hurling preview with Owen Kelly, Brian Hogan and TJ Ryan. You can find the podcasts on the Off The Ball section of the Goal Out Network or be sure to listen back wherever you get your pods. Thank you so much for listening to us on your radio across the country here on News Talk Today. We will speak tomorrow at one. Bye-bye. Off The Ball Daily.